Well, good morning. This is the coffee table. I'm Jay Barrett. Uh, it is uh, Groundhog's Day in uh, most of the country. Here in Alaska, of course, it's uh, it's Marmot Day, Hoary Marmot Day. And the marmot will not see his shadow this morning. So winter's almost over. Take it from me. I uh, want to let you know that support comes from Pier 1 Theater, Homer's community theater, supporting community voices, schedules, and information on Pier 1 Productions at 226-2287 and pier1theater.org. Well, today we are talking about drainage. And uh, we live in a pretty wet place. We live uh, at the bottom of a cliff and uh, we have... Uh, we have a need to get the water from uh, well above us to uh, out into the ocean, and to that end, we are uh, we are talking with well, uh, Public Works Director Jan Kaiser and some folks who have got uh, vested interests in getting uh, getting drainage done properly around our area. Uh, Jan Kaiser is the Homer Public Works Director. We have uh, Kyra Wagner and Kui Walker. Hi, welcome to the show, everybody. I uh, hope you can hear me okay and uh, uh, everything is fine. Um, Jan, maybe you could start with telling us uh, what a green stormwater management system is and why we need one here. Oh, well, thank you, Jay. First of all, thanks for having us. Uh, we're pleased to hear, we're pleased to be here to talk about one of our favorite subjects, which is how to use the natural environment to improve the built environment. So I was in Homer 35 years ago and we drainage was a problem back then. And the way we addressed it was to do a drainage management plan that figured out where culverts would go and where drainage ditches would go. And we didn't spend a lot of time talking about water quality and we didn't make the connection between drainage and erosion. And we just did the traditional thing. So flash forward 35 years and there's new science, new technology, new techniques and best management practices on dealing with this water. And there's better ways to manage it so that you can prevent uh, sediment getting into the bay so that you control uh, turbidity and erosion. There's connections between the waters, the stormwater, the groundwater, the stream water, and how it erodes the ground, and all these things are connected. So we're seeing how the connections can damage private and public property and public infrastructure, and we want to use the natural environment, wetlands, peatlands, and so forth, to help mitigate and manage some of those adverse impacts. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kyra Wagner, maybe you could tell us uh, from the perspective of the Homer Soil and Water Conservation District, why uh, uh, directing our water is so important? Well, um, we work with a lot of different landowners. And when landowners call our office and say, my house is shifting on its foundation, <laughs> you know, it's, these are big issues that affect people in their individual lives. And there are things that humans can do in our built environment to change that or to mitigate that, um, try and work as Jan said, with nature instead of against it. So um, if we learn what some of these techniques can be and we figure it out um, in a way that this, especially with the city participating, we have public um, participation as well as um, my job is I can educate landowners what to do on their own private parcels as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, Kui Walker, uh, Jan tells me that uh, you've got uh, access to the uh, purse strings that might help uh, some of this project uh, uh, go. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do? 
Um, so I'm the manager of the Ketchumuk Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve, and we're a um, partnership between NOAA and the University of Alaska Anchorage and the community. So we have a community council, um, and the reserve is part of a national system. We do research education engagements to help people steward land. We don't own or manage any land, uh, but we do, we're part of a national system, and that national reserve system was written into the infrastructure bill that passed in November. And that provided um, funding for the reserves to apply to for land purchases. So we, through our community council, um, have vetted some ideas for what we should apply for. And the city's green infrastructure uh, properties came up as the number one priority. So we're going to be submitting a proposal with the city um, with the intent to help purchase some of those properties. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Jan, geologically speaking, um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, why Homer is the way it is? We, we're on, what, an alluvial plain from the, the bluff up here, and that brings with it its own uh, geologic uh, challenges, I guess, or geomorphological challenges. Can you tell us why we need to manage this water? Is it just because we're here and it needs to be managed? Or would we want to manage something even if it wasn't rolling past homes? Well, actually, uh, Kyra and Kui are two scientists here who, who, have, who study sort of the mechanics of what we've got in terms of our geology and hydrology and so forth. I'm just an engineer who lives with what, what we're given. But my understanding is that there were glaciers here years ago, which created gravel in some places, and then peat started being generated in other places. And so we've got solid ground in some places and soft ground in other places, and we've got clay underlying all of that. And then you got a bunch of water coming over the slope. So water will erode gravel, water will soak into peat, water will erode sand and make clay soft and mushy. And if you try to build on all of that without paying attention to what you're actually grounded on, you can have problems. And one of the best ways to mitigate those problems is to control where the water goes. Because water is bad for almost everything except the peat and the wetlands, which is where you want to keep it. And that's what we're going to try to do. Oh, okay. Uh, Kyra, could you talk a little bit about the geology then? I'm really curious about it because like, I look out my window here and... Uh, I see hard rock mountains like you see all the way down to southeast uh, Kodiak, uh, kind of the same deal. Uh, but here on this part of the Kenai Peninsula, it's all squishy. So maybe You're you right. can talk to us a little <laughs> about it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We're squishy. <laughs> so <laughs> we're looking at the hard rock mountains across the bay. Um, but yeah, we are total glacial till. So we do have a lot of gravel, but we do have layers that have been put down over eons. So the hardest rock we have on this side of the bay is coal seams. Uh, the water will percolate down through, and um, <laughs> we could explain a lot of what the groundwater is doing in this area. They've done some amazing science on that, so I'll let her talk about that. But for landowners that we get to talk to, um, when you're on the bench here in Homer, uh, all of that bluff has little valleys that um, watersheds, individual little watersheds that have dumped alluvial silt and things down. So every landowner who brings in a soil sample, for example, to my office, could have a very different scenario depending on what dumped down through the bluff. Um, but it makes layers of that hard pan silt that's like clay, and that makes a layer that the water sits on. So when our water percolates down, 
Um, it can get uh, stuck on a clay layer. It can get stuck on a coal seam. Um, it, it behaves once it gets down into the soil in different ways. If we, um, naturally speaking, um, those peatlands slow that flow down, they suck it up like a big sponge and they hold it. Whereas uh, when we start building houses, digging in a foundation, cutting in a road, cutting in ditches, we disturb all of the natural circulation of that water. And so then we have either immense flood scenarios, drainage issues where um, the storm ditches blow out a road, we've seen that, or blow over a road in extreme cases. Um, all of these extreme weather events can't be handled by uh, our, our typical drainage ditches like they could have in the natural um, system environment. Hmm. You know, I learned uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old that uh, it's, you can't fight a sinkhole by putting gravel on top of it over and over and over again. Uh, we had, there was water running across our driveway in Dillingham and, you know, uh, for years and years, they were just putting gravel on it and it would just disappear and just be a sinkhole again, just a puddle with water running through it. And somebody finally came in and said, well, you need better drainage over on this side, you know, so it doesn't have to go across the road and then fixed it and it was fine. But it was, it was something that, uh, struck me, uh, at that time was that, well, we can't make nature do what we want. What's going on here? You know, uh, and it turns out it was a good lesson to learn. You know, you can't really make nature do what you want for the whole time. Um, and when you speak of geologic time, we're only going to be here for a blink of an eye. And this bluff has been eroding for a million years. Well, several hundred thousand anyway. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with that little story, but, um, you know, maybe we could talk about how uh, it's difficult to manage these things when they're happening uh, on the ground. Is that something for, for uh, you, Jan? Yeah, let me just address that. You mentioned that geologic time is long and human time is short. And so how can we hope to control it and why can't we just live with it? The problem that we have is human time is short, but development concentrates water. And so the more houses you put on a slope, the more roads you put on a slope, the more concentrated the water flows. And concentrated water is a formula for erosion. And that's, what, that's why we've been seeing more erosion and drainage issues in the past, say, 10 to 20 years than what existed in my original day is because you've got so much more development. And if you don't pay attention to what happens downstream, then your development, your house, your driveway, your road upstream can create adverse impacts on what's happening downstream. If you look at a topographic map of Homer and you follow the drainages down to the bluff where they empty into the bay, there's almost always an erosion channel that follows that drainage, almost always. Everywhere you see a major erosion issue on the bluff, you've got a drainage problem. And so we've just put two and two together, and now we're going to try to do some mitigation of that. Mm -hmm. Now, will uh, this, this uh, mitigation help with, um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, Haynes, who had a big uh, landslide a couple of years ago, and it took down a whole hillside. I mean, it's just uh, amazing. And it wasn't that steep of a hillside either. It was you know, I guess a slope that's within the range of wanting to slip eventually. But um, uh, do we have, uh, what is that called, mass wasting uh, issues here in Kodiak? Is that a danger for anyone living, you know, 
below the hillside or you know on the hillside? I'm going to let Kyra take that. Okay, Kyra. Well, um, my my board of directors had this conversation just last month, and um, uh, majority old timers who've lived here for a long time, and their stories went on about how many mudslides have come down <laughs> that area. Um, uh, in most recent history, the, the slough off into Woodard Creek was the, the biggest one we've had in a long time. Uh, totally plugged the creek and, and uh, destroyed the flora and fauna for quite a ways there. But um, yeah, it's, it's an issue where we're seeing it on a regular basis and on a daily basis is along the bluff where it pops out um, in those uh, coal seams and or uh, clay seams. It freezes and thaws, freezes and thaws. So um, that really destabilizes the bluff. So when we have um, really steep hillsides that get um, super saturated and or um, uh, have water issues that they didn't used to have, as things shift and change, the, the soil underneath it moves and shifts and changes. So um, that's one of the things about development is we make these changes, but we don't know necessarily how they're going to manifest <laughs> when, uh, once it's all uh, said and done. So yeah, working with those kind of trajectories, trying to figure out what would be the best way for the uh, our interaction, um, we're, we're just taking time to look back at how did the natural environment hold it in place before. Mm -hmm. And Chan, how does, uh, you know, all the things that we do to the land, you know, put up a house, uh, foundation, uh, we run drainage ditches and uh, utilities underground, how does that affect the natural uh, flow, I guess? Well, how does how is it disturb it? Like you said, we are disturbing it. Uh, well, you put in a drainage ditch and you take water from point A to point B, where maybe it wasn't originally designed to go. You put in a water line or a sewer line and you backfill it with gravel to make a nice bed for the pipe so the pipe will be safe. And you create kind of a French drain taking water from point A to point B, where maybe it wasn't always intended to go. You fill in a lot to create a house pad or a driveway, and you displace a wetland, which, is, which would normally absorb the water. What you've done is you've now created a surface that water bounces off of and flows in places where maybe it wasn't intended to go. You don't put a culvert in a spot and water can back up and go into places where it wouldn't normally go. You put in a culvert and you take water from point A to point B where maybe it wasn't intended to go. So all this unintentional flow causes problems. Wow. And so uh, you looked into the history of drainage research around here. Uh, and uh, it, during the council meeting where you, where you first talked about this, uh, it talked about, uh, you know, it's kind of piecemeal and the pieces weren't, uh, the dots weren't connected. Uh, and such. Could you talk a little bit about uh, the history of the drainage research and what you found? Sure. So the, the first stuff I looked at was the stuff that the city did, you know, years ago where we just looked at culverts and drainage ditches. There's been a lot of work since then. Homer Soil and Water, for example, has looked at the wetlands in the area and the peatlands in the area, classifying them, uh, quantifying the extent to where they are and how deep they are. Most recently, Homer Drawdown did a citizen science project last year where they dug a bunch of, they, they, they put a bunch of probes in the ground to identify how deep peat layers were. 
the research reserve has done a lot of work on groundwater, where it is, how it flows, how much of it there is. Groundwater is connected to erosion once it gets out into the bluff. Uh, I think the research reserve has done some bluff stability te uh, research. Is that right, Cooey? Uh, yes, that is right. Yep. So there, there's all these people that have looked at different avenues, different aspects of the problem. And now what we're trying to do is just knit together all that knowledge to fig and figure out what to do with it. Okay, cool. What, um, what's, you know, I'm going to be honest here. I'm cheating off your PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> so I would ask you next, what's missing? What's missing from the big picture here? What's missing, it's, and thank you, that's a great question because it's the question I asked myself when I first got here and had conversations with Kyra and Kui about. What's missing is connecting the dots of putting together what Homer Soil and Water knows about peatlands and wetlands, putting together what the Research Reserve knows about slope stability and erosion on the slope and groundwater, putting together what we know about aspects of the, of the built environment and putting all that together to figure out, okay, what's causing the problem and what can we do about it? And so it's great that we're now collaborating on all of this and not just the three of us, there's a number of other natural resource organizations that are also involved in this work. I think it's the first time that the environmental and national resource organizations and Homer have come together to address a common pervasive problem. Wow. Um, I was going through here, uh, the, um, I'm looking at the uh, your your uh, PowerPoint here about the research that's been done before, and uh, you talked about how it focused on traditional drainage management, and uh, didn't really address uh, issues. You know that it, kind of the ones we're talking about now: groundwater erosion and uh, water quality. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit, or why sure. that's needed and what's missing there? Sure. So green infrastructure has been. Uh, kind of an evolving science and practice over the last uh, 15, 20 years, maybe. Uh, there are parts of the lower 48 where it's written into code and written into best practices. That hasn't really gotten up here yet. Anchorage and Fairbanks have, have incorporated some green infrastructure, helping people build rain gardens and so forth. But it's hard to do that in a, a climate that freezes and thaws and freezes and thaws. So there hasn't, it hasn't been as widespreadly used here. We've had little demonstrations of it and so forth. What we're trying to do is use it on a broader scale where we're taking existing and natural wetlands and peatlands and using them to do what they do best, which is suck up like a sponge and store water so we can manage how it's released. And so that's kind of the biggest difference between what we did before, where we focused on culverts taking water from point A to point B, to figuring out how to use the natural environment to help manage the stormwater, not only quantities of it flowing hither and yon, but quality, water quality. Mm -hmm. where, do, where do we want this water to go? We eventually want it to wind up, what, in the ground or in the ocean? Well, both. We want, it to, we want it to infiltrate such that it can, but, but a lot of it will go into Kachemak Bay, which is one reason why the research reserve is interested in working with us because they want to improve the water quality in Kachemak Bay. 
But the, the trick is to manage how it gets there so it doesn't adversely affect people's property and also make the quality of the water better when it gets there. Mm-hmm. Homer doesn't have a, a storm drainage system, right? We, we're just uh, surface level uh, ditches. We have pieces of it. We have a storm drain on Bartlett Street. Uh, there's a storm drain on Main Street. Basically, the paved roads have storm drains. And the problem is that they do a good job of collecting the water from upstream. The, the storm drain on, on Main Street carries water all the way from Bayview and Mountain View, but we don't do anything with it when it gets down to the Beluga Slough. Muddy water, when there's a high rain, muddy water from erosion of the ditches and in the storm drains goes into Beluga Slough. Oh, but wouldn't it have wound up there anyway, muddy water? It, it would have, but what we want to do is we want to take the sediment out of it before it goes into the slough. We want to clean the water up because there's other stuff in that water. We're doing water sampling now to figure out what actually is in the water and how can we take care of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Kui, what's going into the water out here? What uh, What are some of the things that we have to be worried about and uh, make sure that it's uh, you know draining draining off of our land here into the water properly, cleanly. Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, so the, our systems are naturally turbid. So there's a lot of sediment naturally in um, the bay in general and in most of our rivers too. Um, but what we need to do is understand like the connectivity like Jan and Kyra have been talking about the whole system and then where us people fit into that. And I think that's kind of been what's missing. People just been doing what they want to do without thinking about how it's all connected and we're connected. Um, so in terms of what's in it, the the things that are worrisome are, are um, you know, I'm not as worried about the sediments, uh, but it's the things that people use. Cars use a lot of things that are toxic to aquatic organisms, you know, oils and um, fluids like that, things that we put in our houses that we use. We use a lot of chemicals that end up in our water and those things end up in the streams and in the bay and we don't really know all the effects of them there's been a few studies that start coming out and we know that um, for example uh, road effluent is or runoff is really bad for salmon the things that are on tires tires wearing down can be really toxic to salmon so there's we're just learning as people you know we're learning what these chemicals do and meanwhile we just keep using them so i think it's really important that we start thinking about how we filter our water. And wetlands are really good at filtering um, chemicals as well as turbidity. So that's, you know, if we can get some some of those chemicals into the ground before they get into the our aquatic system or wetlands are aquatic, but if they before they flow down into the streams in the bay, that's probably a good thing to just have them settle in there. Huh, interesting. You know, I was uh, surprised, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, when I found out that uh, you cities really shouldn't be uh, dumping uh, plowed snow into the water. They were doing that in Kodiak, and then somebody said, you know, I don't think that's right. And then they had to find a big place to dump snow. Um, let me give out the phone number here. It is uh, 907-235-7721 if you would like to uh, phone in and join us. We're talking about green stormwater management. Uh, the City of Homer's Public Works Director Jan Kaiser has uh, presented um, a, a, an outline of a plan uh, 
a a, a map forward, I guess you might call it, Jan, of uh, how we might do this, how we might uh, uh, reduce flooding, uh, make cleaner water going out into the oceans. So if you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call, 235-7721. Don't forget, you probably need to dial um, 907 before that. Uh, Jan, I was looking at one of the uh, pictures, um, and it was uh, with LIDAR. And it's just an incredible uh, image. Uh, you know, it just shows sort of the raw ground underneath all the foliage and everything. Um, and it really shows clearly what's eroding and where it's or, and how it's eroding. Could you talk a little bit about using that technology to find the trouble spots uh, or if it has helped you? Oh, it's, it's fabulous technology. Um, absolutely fabulous. I, I've read some wonderful uh, uh, biographies, memoirs, if you will, of folks who have used this technology to find old Aztec ruins and so forth. And it's just really cool stuff. You can actually see through the trees with this technology. So we used to have normal old aerial photographs and the problem with that in Homer is all the trees and bushes and whatnot kind of get in the way. So you have trouble tracking where the, the streams and whatnot go. But with this, this technology, you can sort of see through those. So the, it has allowed us to have much higher definition maps where, when, where we can look at the pathways of the water channels. And uh, Cooey's done some wonderful work. Uh, some of her research has done some wonderful work using this to track uh, pathways for groundwater streams, groundwater streams up in uh, some of the upper reaches of the Anchor River. And, and she could talk some more about that. So we basically use it as a tool now to help us track where the paths of water go. Maybe one of our scientists could tell you more about how the technology actually works. I will embarrass myself and our GIS technician if I try to do that. <laughs> how does it? Uh, how does it work, and how do you use it? Um, I'll start with how we use it. I mean, um, it, I mean, my understanding. I'm not a technical expert on lidar. Is basically it's just you know a, a, a beam. Basically, it's just bouncing back. And it's the, the wavelength of the beam allows it to penetrate. So it goes through foliage and it hits hard ground and then it bounces back. And so you're getting that surface layer and it's um, really accurate uh, within, gosh, Kyra, you might know it's within a few meters, you know, you're, it's like accurate on the ground. So it's, it's very accurate. Uh, we use it all the time. And what um, Jan is referring to our groundwater modeling. We've been working a lot on groundwater um, modeling because we know it's important for salmon. And now in the cities, not as worried about salmon, but we do a lot of work in the Kenai Lowland Rivers, Anchor, Storisky, Deep Creek, Nanilchik River, um, all of which have a lot of peatlands and a lot of groundwater. And so they're kind of, they fit a category of river. And so we've worked, or, you know, kind of working with the city so that they can transfer some of this technology. Um, but basically the LIDAR, the, there's different layers of groundwater. Like Kyra mentioned, the coal seams, um, the groundwater will percolate down through whatever porous material there is until it hits a hard surface. And then sometimes it percolates below that too. Like some of it trickles down until it hits the next hard surface. So you get these layers of groundwater. The shallow groundwater is you can, it's pretty much following the surface topography. So you can use this LIDAR to identify the shallow groundwater flows. And that's mostly what 
people are intersecting when they're building roads and houses and things like that. So it's a really effect that LIDAR is a really effective modeler of shallow groundwater, which is the, the system that we want to pay attention to for drainage issues. But I just want to say one more thing about the groundwater because that that shallow groundwater is also the same groundwater that's supplying our streams. So especially when we're thinking about salmon streams, we have to be mindful that we don't disrupt that too much because we want that water in the stream for the salmon. And one of the ways we can do that is by, for wells and things like that, tapping into the deeper groundwater, which is below the depth where the streams are drawing their water from. So just a little foreshadowing, a map forward idea, I guess, to use your term of things that we can be thinking about for salmon streams with groundwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chen, I'm looking at uh, the image of um, where Kachemak Drive meets uh, East End Road, and you squared off where uh, the stream comes down from the hillside, and after it crosses East End Road, uh, you know, I had no idea there was that kind of erosion going on there. You know, I'm an innocent bystander. I just drive by there. I don't know what's going on so close to the water, but there are several spots there uh, where the erosion is actually, uh, it's eating back uh, quite significantly. Uh, there past Kachemak Drive. Um, uh, are these the kind of things that we're trying to keep from happening with all this uh, groundwater management? Exactly. I was just visiting a property owner out on Kachemak Drive yesterday who showed me some erosion in front of her house. Her bluff is probably about 75 feet uh, tall. And she's when she first built her house, the edge of the bluff was about... 50, 60 feet out from her house, and now it's within 25 feet or so. She's lost 30 feet of bluff over the last, say, five to 10 years. And when I first saw this kind of erosion years ago, I thought it was wave action. You know, it's, well, you're on a, you're on a beach and it's wave action, but it's not. It's caused by the freeze-thaw freeze -thaw of, the, of the groundwater. So the water comes off the hillside, crosses East End Road, goes along Catchmack Bay and it's not really controlled where it goes. So it then becomes groundwater in spots and then freezes thaws, freeze thaws and, and carries erosion with it. So you, you, you see that happening all along Catchmack Drive. Uh, so we're gonna try to address some of those problems on the east side, uh, particularly where the industrial activity is, Northern Enterprises and so forth to try to deal with some of the water that comes off those properties or that have been ditched around those properties and try to mitigate the way it goes across Catchmack Drive and then crosses over into the bluff. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is the issue here uh, around Catchmack Drive is um, it, it can't be fixed with a seawall. This is eroding no. from within, no, yeah. not from without. Exactly. The dynamic of the seawall area over by Ocean Drive is completely different than what you see happening on uh, on Catchmack Drive and along, uh, say, north of Bishop's Beach. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, we have a phone caller. Hi, you're you're on the air. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so, as uh, I listened to your conversation, you included comments about everything being connected. And so I have a question about how you um, look forward to working with the borough and the state on these challenges. And I say that after watching several um, important pieces of property being sold by the borough that um, 
that may increase the risks of erosion. And these are just above Homer and just inside of Homer. So I think it might be a great opportunity to get the borough um, assembly and the borough administration involved in this project. Thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Jan, what does it take to get uh, uh, help from above? Well, that's a great question. I, 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 I should pay that lady later for asking that question because it's a great segue into uh, an important topic. So we have, we have Lane Chesney, uh, our district borough representative, and he, has he thinks this is an important issue. And he has invited us to make a presentation uh, at the Borough Lands Committee about our green infrastructure projects to make them aware of how important those properties are. And one of the things that we're teeing up to do with the research reserves help, as Coe mentioned, is to be, be in a position to, if need be, purchase the properties that we need to put into the stormwater system up there. And, and with regards to the state, so everybody knows the state owns Catchmack Drive. And we recently got a notice of funding opportunity, which is a, an announcement of a grant opportunity from the federal government who's, who's looking for projects that will benefit transportation systems, particularly transportation systems that have uh, wide public benefit. What we're going to do is talk to the Department of Transportation about putting a joint project together. This, the state already has plans to repave Catchmack Drive. They're in the process of scoping that now. We know that that scoping will not include a non-motorized pathway. They've already told us that. And we suspect that it does not include any plans for improving the drainage. So what we'd like to do is work with them to get some grant funding that will allow us to address the non-motorized pathway and the drainage issues while the state is doing their repaving project, have a co-state and city project that will really have immense benefits. I mean, just imagine if you could ride a bike or walk all along Catchmack Drive. And what we'd really like to do, this is in my wildest imaginings, is build the pathway so that it's adjunct adjacent to the stormwater management system that we're planning on building. And so now you have this wonderful little nature trail up along Catchamac Drive. And isn't that cool? Uh, our other guests here on the Zoom call seem to think it's pretty cool. <laughs> Very happy about that idea. Uh, tell us why. Uh, Kyra, what, what about this plan uh, makes you so happy? Well, um, Again, it's uh, it's multifaceted, but um, I hear all the time about how dangerous it is to drive your bike on Ketchumick Drive, um, and how that's it's just such a um, a major artery uh, in the transportation system in Homer, and yet you can't go there on a bike without risking your life. So that would be great. So that's that's a that's always a wonderful thing. But the idea that the landowners on, I mean, any landowner, like you said, Jay, you can't see necessarily the changes that are happening on that block, but believe me, the landowners are seeing it. So the idea of being able to control some of the erosion there and slow that down is vital. And um, it would be spectacular to be able to have an example, like to answer the caller, uh, to be able to show how this works to the state and the borough is really important. Um, to be able to show, uh, some form of infrastructure that had the capability of not slicing through the wetland and ruining the, <laughs> the circulation of water, but instead um, 
uh, creating a, a manner of controlling it and moderating it in a way that was beneficial to the landowners and um, kept the peatlands or, you know, we have a huge peatland there. We should be utilizing it. And one of the things that uh, is on my radar is just how fast Homer is developing. So this, there's no better time to grab up as much of this wetland as we can before it gets filled with gravel pads and, and um, shops and, you know, things like that. Development is definitely beneficial, but at the same time, when you have a wetland that's as key as that beluga wetland at the base of our hill, it's, um, it's really important right now to grab some bits of it and save as much as we can to moderate that. And so if DOT was on board too, oh my gosh. Like Jan said, it's a dream. <laughs> uh, does it, uh, uh, Jan, is it, um, what does it take to get DOT on board? Because it seems to be hit and miss as far as uh, green uh, infrastructure elements in projects. I know when they redid the Kenai Spur Highway 20 years ago, uh, they put in a big settling pond where the road used to be, and it was to take care of all the runoff from, uh, you know, all the new pavement they put in. Uh, another one behind the um, Aspen Hotel in downtown Soldotna has got a big settling pond right between it and the river. Um, but I don't see these sort of things. They don't seem to be common. What's the deal there? Why, why aren't these, these uh, proven ways uh, used more often? Like you, you said, uh, the state doesn't seem to have any interest in erosion control and Kachemak Drive. Why, why is that? Well, a lot of it's just resources. The state's got limited amounts of money, particularly in the last number of years. And so their primary focus is on getting traffic from point A to point B. Some of these best management practices or alternative green infrastructure practices cost money. You have to have land to build the settling ponds. Uh, so often there, you only do them if you have to. Uh, for example, if they're mandated by uh, a federal agency of some kind, sometimes EPA might weigh in on a project that gets federal money and say, okay, we want you to do this. And so the state needs to do it in order to get full federal funding for their project. So it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just that they don't often have opportunity because of lack of resources. They would love to do some of the things uh, for example, they're going to be working on the Sterling Highway uh, sometime over the next couple of years um, some, between Clam Gulch and, and Baycrest, I think. I'm not exactly sure of the boundaries. And they're limited by what they can do there. I asked them if they could come in and help us refurbish the Baycrest Overlook, and they said, well, we don't have funding for that. So I can understand that as a public agency. Well, we're all public agencies. We all know that budgets drive our project scopes. But that being said, we were approached, the city was approached by a, a DOT planner who was kind of scoping out projects in anticipation of infrastructure money a couple of months ago. And she said, can you think of a project that would have combined state and, fed and city benefit that would particularly address climate resiliency and green infrastructure. She knew what the criteria were gonna be for the notice of funding. And she was giving us a heads up on what to look for. So when the notice of funding actually came out and had these criteria, I thought back to Jocelyn and I thought, okay, bingo. She knew what we needed to know and she gave us a couple of months heads up on what to look for. 
So now we're going to be ready and they will help us because they've got vested interest in this too. put the package together. Mm -hmm. I think we have another uh, caller on the line, uh, maybe or maybe not. Let's see. Hi, uh, you're on the air. Yes, I have a question about uh, culverts. The city's <clears throat> put in culverts, extended the culverts, and that speeds the water up and then creates uh, erosion downstream from there. Uh, um, and uh, it has, so far has been the problem of the property owner. Will they be able to get any kind of mitigation on this issue? Well, that's a good question. Uh, thanks for it. Jan, what, uh, is this going to benefit uh, or can individual property owners benefit from this as well? Yeah, there will be. So it's very site specific, first of all. What the problems are and what the benefits will be are very site specific. There are some particular properties along Catchmack Drive that will be direct beneficiaries of the, the stormwater project over there. There are some that will get downstream uh, benefits uh, because they're a little bit farther away. In some of the other green infrastructure projects, for example, the one up on Baycrest, there are a number of properties up there which will have direct benefit because they won't have all this water flowing onto their properties. So there will be individual properties that benefit, uh, but it, it depends upon where you're where you're talking about. Oh, okay, okay. Um, um, fair. Fairview, uh, downstream from Fairview, one of the creeks there, the city put in a culvert there, and it, it greatly increased the, you know, the flow uh, downstream, and it needs to be sorted somehow. And that's a problem. One of the issues that we have at the city that we'll be looking into is our subdivision development ordinances don't do a great job of requiring the dev developers to look at downstream impact. And so they create the kind of things that our caller is looking at, or is talking about. We're gonna be trying to address that with some code revisions to require a broader look at how drainage flows out of a particular new development so that downstream impact is taken more into consideration. And there's some things, legacy problems, that the city will just need to go in and address. Did that answer your question? I guess so. It was the city that put the culverts in, so it's their legacy. <laughs> I, I I think this is one of the things they're hoping to correct here. Is that, that right, Jan? Is that what I get? Right. We're, we're taking inventory. We now have an inventory on our new GIS mapping of every culvert in the city, and we're in the process of using the LIDAR information that we talked about to track where water flows and, and so we're, we're gradually working through some of these legacy problems. We can't do all neighborhoods all at one time, but we're taking it a step-by-step. Step. We, we, we're aware of some of the issues of water flowing off of Fairview. And so we do intend to get to that. It is on our list of things to do. Have patience. All right, That's thanks good. for calling. Good news, thanks. Yeah. Um, Jan, I'm looking at one of your slides here. It's the stormwater flows in uh, the foothill subdivisions. And uh, it's got a picture of what I'm assuming is the parking lot at Fireweed Academy with uh, um, I don't know, a rushing stream uh, down, <laughs> leading down the hill right into it. Uh, and then on the LIDAR picture there, 
Uh, it just looks like a nice big basin ready to catch all that water. Uh, that's probably not part of the uh, rainwater management plan, but uh, uh, how do you work with something like that, big flat place that just catches all the water? You know, that's a very interesting uh, situation up there that I haven't figured out yet. So the, the, for, for folks in the listening audience, water flows off the hillside uh, over by um, the, the area sort of north of the, the middle school and flows down towards Soundview, crosses into a culvert, and there's a retention basin there. And that is supposed to fill up with water and store it. And then there's a culvert that comes out of there and dumps water directly into the parking lot of the middle school. And last year it flooded. There was like two feet of water behind the middle school. And I haven't found anybody that knows how that went in, where the water was supposed to go, and what happens to it when it goes under the middle school. So what comes spring, we're going to be out there trying to figure out what's going on and what we can do about it. I'm just surprised I haven't had the middle school people hollering about all that water in their backyard. I figure maybe they turned it into a kayak pool or something. <laughs> well, you know, with the early freeze up, maybe they skated on it. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe. Um, we are talking about uh, green let me, uh, green stormwater management uh, with uh, uh, the city of Homer's uh, public works director, Jan Kaiser. And uh, we also have Kyra Wagner with the Homer Soil and Water uh, Conservation District and Cooey Walker with the Kachemak Bay Estuarine Research Reserve. Did I say Estuarine anywhere close to right? You did. Good job. Oh, yeah. You know, when... Uh, <laughs> When that organization uh, showed up, I was I was working in Kenai, and so I had to do stories about it, or I did do stories about it, and I could not say that word. Yeah. We actually measured not. the, because um, the reserve was established in 1999, and we kind of tracked the use and the pronunciation of the word estuarine, and has greatly improved in our community since the reserve came. <laughs> <laughs> <And> it has. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, uh, I'm talking with you here, Kui. What is the number one, number one issue you would like to see fixed in this in this uh, milieu here of uh, drainage? Is it uh, getting a hold of some of that wetland in the Beluga drainage area, or what else? What have you got? What are you so, looking for? Um, from the reserves' perspective, thinking the definitely the the big peatland that is you know part of Beluga Lake. Um, the headwaters of Beluga Lake is really important uh, because not only does it function as stormwater drainage, but it also had, provides a lot of other services to people um, and, and wildlife. And um, there's also some exciting new ideas that we're um, lifting up, for example, a carbon project. So these peatlands are really deep and we're measuring how much, how deep they are and also how much carbon is in. The, so you can take a core of the peat and then you can basically burn it off and figure out how much carbon is in it at different depths. And we can use all that information to figure out volume. And that carbon is valuable on a world carbon market and it's um, substantial income potential. So um, there's a lot that we can learn um, about these peatlands, they're, how they're connected, our watersheds, uh, what services they provide to people, stormwater, also income generating through carbon projects. And there's a lot of these peatlands in our region in general and throughout Alaska. So this could potentially be a really neat opportunity 
to um, you know have a local peatland we could study. We could, especially if the Ketchumac Drive idea goes through, I was super excited about that. Our offices on Ketchumac Drive, we could walk people to the peatlands and do outreach and education and citizen monitoring, all of which is so important for people to understand um, and kind of you know build that connection with the local landscape and help lift kind of peatland carbon projects, peatland understanding in all of our systems. So I guess for the reserves perspective, you know, understanding connectivity and understanding the role of these peatlands in that connectivity is really important, which is why we want to put a proposal in to purchase some of those lands. Hmm. Kyra, what about you? What have, uh, what have you got your eye on? Well, I have to say that um, the work that Cooey and the Research Reserve does informs my work greatly. <laughs> so, I um, uh, their work has shed light so much on what we culturally consider wastelands. <laughs> you know, like if you talk to a regular landowner and say, "Oh, protect your wetland," they're like, "Oh, dang, do I have a wetland? Darn, I'm gonna you know, like, did I buy a bog? Oh, this this is horrible." And they can they could see it as a, a detriment, you know. And so um, for me, one of my uh, goals when working with people is like, hey, your alders feed nitrogen to salmon streams. You need to be looking at the research reserve studies on you know, how important alders are. You know, or um, peatlands control temperature for salmon streams. They hold so much water in that stream or in that sponge that um, they keep it cool cool water seeping out over the summer and then in the winter time that water stays pretty much same temperature so comparatively it's warm water going into those streams so like the ecosystem services of our peatlands are incredible and um so uh working with our national partners which is uh nrcs the natural resource conservation service they're best known for their um cost share with high tunnels but what they do is very specifically working with landowners to do conservation plans. Like what's the best way to make your land most productive and um, make sure that you're uh, not destroying any of the ecosystem services in your on your property and making your property a functional part of our ecosystem. And as we have farms and settlements and landowners buying up land around here, my personal, uh, our organization's goal is to work with those best management practices, learn as much as we can about the best ways to interact um, with the ecosystem we live in. Mm -hmm. I just had a uh, note here. Uh, the uh, the place with all the water is actually West Homer Elementary. Ah, okay. Okay. And I also got a question emailed in uh, regarding drainage issues on uh, Cashmack Drive. Um, how much effort is being made to stop future problems caused by uh, new development wetland removal filling? Um, I, I think this is probably has to do with, you know, trying to buy up some of the land to keep that from happening. But uh, when the work, uh, when development does happen there, uh, what challenges do you think they might pose? Well, that's a that's an interesting question, and it's it's not a simple answer because, of course, we have industry out there, Northern Enterprises, uh, Bay Welding. Those are economic engines for the city. We want them to succeed. We want them to thrive. We want them to grow, and 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 so we want to work with them to figure out how to best do that. 
So we've had some initial conversations with some of the, the industrial property owners about what is your vision for your business and what kind of property do you need to support that? And how can we help you while you're helping us achieve some of these drainage, uh, address these drainage problems? The, the thing that all these issues have in common is that everybody wants a solution. So as industry continues to grow, they need to solve a drainage problem too. And they need access to their properties. And they need to know that they're going to be able to expand their businesses without interference or objection from the natural resource organizations. So if we can partner with them to help them achieve their goals while actually trying to address some of these drainage issues as well, then everybody benefits. And that's what we're doing now. We're having conversations with these property owners about what's your vision for your business? How can we help you? By the way, this is what we need in order to address this. Is there a way we can work together? Mm -hmm. We only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Jan, maybe you could tell us uh, the specific areas that you're looking at in, uh, you know, in this uh, scope of the project. So we've identified four specific areas right now, and there will be more, there will be more, but the four specific areas are high priority for a variety of reasons. The first area is up at Baycrest. That's high priority because we know there's an existing problem of drainage coming off the Sterling Highway and saturating private properties up there. And also we know that there's an existing erosion problem as that water from the drainage finds its way to the bluff. So that's one of the uh, projects that we have in mind as the first go around. The second project is down at Bishop's Beach. That's a priority for a couple of reasons. One, that, that is the receiving basin for the Main Street storm drain. And we know that there's a uh, pollution issue there. Also, Fish and Wildlife owns a lot of that property. So it's already in public hands. Uh, also, it's next to Bishop's Beach Park, which gives us an opportunity to sort of add benefit to the park at the same time that we're building the project to do the stormwater management. So there's a number of things going on down there. The next area is over at Ben Walters, which takes water from, say, the high school flowing down south along Ben Walters and Lake Street, and then goes into Beluga Lake. That's a priority because it goes into Beluga Lake but also it's next to Ben Walters Park. So there's already some public property that we can leverage space from and an existing wetland that hasn't been developed. So that's a priority. And then, and then the Catchmack Drive area is a priority because we know there's an existing erosion problem on Catchmack Drive. We know there's industrial development that will be happening up there. So there's some development pressure on the property. And we know there's some valuable wetlands we want to tie up. So we've got these four projects immediately on the, on the table that are important for a couple of reasons. There's a couple of others that we have our eyes on, but those are lower priority because of the different pressures from these other projects come first. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a uh, email question here. Uh, it seems uh, relevant, but tangential. Uh, they they uh, want to know where they can report uh, finding a, 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 a large pile of tires in close proximity to the Anchor River. Um, not really what we're talking about, but any thoughts? Would that be DEC? DOT? Ira? <laughs> I was afraid you'd ask me. Um, I'm, 
I hate questions like this because you could call my office. I can't do anything about it. Um, one of the uh, um, issues is if those tires are on private property, there's no law that says anything about a landowner having a bunch of tires um, on their property. DC would be the ones to notify um, if uh, I, I haven't seen that there's much that they could do about it either. So um, uh, this is where when Jan discusses putting in uh, verbiage into planning documents at the city that help future-proof uh, development. That's, you know, a lot of these things need to be, um, would need to be in code for any agency to have any kind of oomph <laughs> as far as enforcing uh, best management practices. It so. is a problem though. Tires generate arsenic and we are actually testing some a receiving water right now that has arsenic in it because of a tire related issue. So it, it isn't a problem. Uh, I would agree with Kyra, DEC is probably the best place to start, um, but I don't know what they'll be able to do about it. If you knew that there was arsenic being generated from this pile into the stream, that would, that would give somebody an impetus to do something. And it's actually an easy test to take. Uh, if you had a water sample, bring it down to Public Works and we'll test it and confirm or deny whether or not there's arsenic in it. And that might give you evidence of, of what to do with it. Excellent. Well, we are uh, out of time uh, and I've only gotten halfway through uh, Jan's original uh, PowerPoint <laughs> on uh, green infrastructure. Let, let's all meet back here next week and finish this up. No, <laughs> but uh, it is a, a very interesting topic and it's very important uh, and it's uh, very multifaceted. And I, I think we see that with the uh, interest that we have from homeowners and uh, environmental watchdogs and the city. Uh, and I, I'm just very, uh, very thrilled that this is happening because I, I just love these sort of big interconnected projects. I just find them fascinating. So I want to thank uh, Kyra Wagoner, Kui Walker, and Jan Kaiser for joining us here on the coffee table today. Uh, and thanks to Josh and Simon back in the studio for engineering it. It is 10 o'clock. You're listening to Public Radio, KBBI, AM 890, Homer. I'm Jay Barrett. Let's send you back now to the studio. <laughs>